as we enter the four feast season of God's biblical feast days, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Sukkot, you often hear all the rave about the Feast of Sukkot. Well, I mean, what's not to like about camping, hanging out with friends and looking forward to the marriage supper of the lamb, which this feast points to. But in the midst of it all, it can easily become that the Feast of Trumpets and Day of Atonement simply becomes a filler before we get to the main event. And I guess, understandably, the Day of Atonement, also known as Judgment Day, doesn't sound as exciting. But at the same time, God gave it for a reason and purpose. And today I hope for you to see the beauty of this day. It's a day that, like I mentioned, many see as Judgment Day, but it's also considered the holiest day of the year. This would be the day that the high priest would enter the temple and go as far as the Holy of Holies to make atonement for all of Israel corporately. You see, throughout the year, Israel, the people they would bring sacrifices for themselves as individuals. And, but this is one that's a, a, a atonement that is made for the nation as a whole. And this is a special day that's all about Yeshua. It's all about Jesus. It points every aspect of it points to him. And that's why it's important, beautiful, and you really need to understand it. To understand how this event all points to Yeshua, you really need to understand the Levitical procedures of the day. It's not boring. It's incredibly profound. There are three different offerings or atonements that are made on this day. The first is a sacrifice made for the high priest himself. The second is one that is made for all of Israel. And then also one that is sent to Azazel. And that one we will be discussing more in depth later in this teaching. God starts this story regarding the Day of Atonement, reminding Israel about Nadab and Abihu, how these two sons of Aaron casually approached God with strange fire. And because they casually just approached him in a sinful state, they were struck down and immediately died on the spot. God is reminding the priesthood, Aaron, Moses, Israel about this because he's reminding them about the separation that currently existed between man and God. You see, in a sinful state, man cannot come near God. We will die because God is holy, perfect, and he cannot like no unclean thing can come into his presence. It would simply perish. That's what happened to Nadab and Abihu. And so as he reminds them of this, he then tells them that only the priest can come near me. And only if he follows a certain procedure before he comes near me. He can't just come anytime, any day, any way he wants. 
but there's a procedure to ensure that you would survive the encounter with the one true living God. We read the following in Leviticus 16 verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. God is highlighting really the biggest problem we have, sin, and how because of the fall in the garden in Genesis, we are separated. And this is the problem that needs to be solved in order for our relationship with God to be restored. We see that he talks about this cloud, right? He, he says, God says that there's this cloud over the mercy seat and this cloud is it's really representing him, his presence and this glory cloud over the mercy seat. He says, if you come near it just casually, anytime you want, that cloud will kill you, Aaron. And this is why the high priest, before he enters that holy of holies, needs to follow a procedure to cleanse himself. And to make atonement for himself. We read what happens here as he prepares himself in Leviticus 16:11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house, and he shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. It's important to remember at this point, as we go along here. That the animal sacrifices were never able to take away anyone's sin, but instead they were placeholders or metaphors. They were pointing to the role of the Messiah. And so when we are reading about how an animal was killed for the sins of the high priest, what we're actually seeing is a picture of how Yeshua would die to make us clean and whole again. And very importantly, the picture is also showing us that the high priest is supposed to be perfectly spotless and clean in order to make perpetuation for our sins. And of course, we also know that our high priest is Yeshua. He is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and he must be spotless in order to make any sort of atonement for our sins. So Aaron is make is now walking out this picture of the Messiah. He is he has to make atonement for himself because he's a man and he's unclean. But there is coming one, a Messiah of Israel, who will be clean and spotless and of himself and who will be an acceptable atonement for all people. We read now on about this in Leviticus 16, 13, and we read about these coals of fire and the incense. And he says, and put the incense on the fire of the sacrifice before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. It's so interesting. 
because we're seeing that God first says, look, there's this cloud, my presence over the mercy seat. Aaron, don't just approach it casually, because if you do, this cloud will be the end of you. You will die. And then Aaron makes a a sacrifice and he burns it with fire. He, He puts incense on it and it produces a cloud. And this his cloud, this cloud he's making is now covering him, the scripture says. And this cloud that is covering him actually protects him from the cloud over the mercy seat that would have killed him. So we have one cloud that's that would kill him if he would just approach it casually. And now he is making his own cloud that would cover him and protect him from God's glory killing him. This is amazing. You see, this is telling us something that if you want protection from the presence of God being the end of you, his glorious perfection and righteousness and holiness, killing your unrighteous soul, what you need is you need a part of God because see, at the end of the day, it was a cloud that was the danger and it was the cloud then that was the covering. It is a part of God's own essence, uh, an essence of that cloud that will be the thing that covers you and protects you and allows you to go into God's presence. Does this sound familiar? You see, brothers, sisters, it had to be a part of God that comes and goes up to cover you. Because see, you need to ask the question, where did that cloud that Aaron would bring forth come from? It was from the fire of this sacrifice. You see, God would provide a sacrifice for you. In Yeshua, his sacrifice would be a sweet aroma to the Lord. His sacrifice, there would be fire that comes upon it. The Holy Spirit would be poured out because of it. And people will be filled with this spirit. And people will have Yeshua's, when, when, when this fire goes up, this cloud, this covering comes over us. This cloud, which is Yeshua, Yeshua is the cloud. And protects us because you see now God has provided the solution. Symbolically speaking, Yeshua's sacrifice was accepted by God as perfect for you. And there was a fire that came from that sacrifice. And we see it as so clearly that fire, being the Holy Spirit is ultimately poured out upon us who are supposed to be loving sacrifices to God. And we read how, for example, the Holy Spirit descended upon the men with tongues of fire. That's what this is talking about. You see, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They become burning sacrifices themselves, acceptable, pleasing to the Lord an incense that goes to God as being pleasing. And after Aaron makes this atonement for himself to go into God's presence, We now have the main event starting to occur for this day of atonement, where a sacrifice is made for Israel corporately. We read in Leviticus 16, 15, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil 
and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. But why does God instruct for this corporate atonement to be made by the high priest? Like I mentioned, throughout the year, individuals would make offerings for themselves and their families. But then there's this one day that's arguably the most important of all offerings, the day of atonement, an offering for all of Israel. Why is this necessary? You see, this offering is so profound. It's so amazing that the Father gave us this because it's a message about the good news, the gospel. You see, the gospel is, is that Yeshua came to die for our sins, that whoever may believe in him may not die, but will have eternal life. You see, that's what the Day of Atonement signals. You see, Yeshua didn't just die for a good man. He didn't just die for an upright man who's already loving God. He also died for the prostitute, the murderer, the adulterer, the drunkard, the drug addict, the person who doesn't even know God. He did not draw a line in the sand and say, you need to be kind of good enough before I, my sacrifice would ever even count for you to begin with. He says, no, if you repent of your sins, anyone can come. Everyone has opportunity to take part and be cleansed. Because see, that's what corporate atonement is. It means God Yeshua died corporately for the world and that allowed everyone in if they would come in, if they would repent. And that is the good news, because you could tell me, Petey, but this sounds unfair. How could why would Yeshua allow? Why would Jesus allow people who are evil even to have access to this? But then I have to ask you the question, brother, sister. Are we not all evil? Have you not lied, stealed, killed and destroyed in your heart in the very least? Do you not have sins worthy of great judgment and even how far yourself? I know I have had sins of that sort. And if you think you don't, then you're deceived and you're Outlook on how serious sin is, is distorted. Like we read about Nadab and Abihu, how these men, they would have just died. And they did by just coming into his presence unatoned for. That's how it would end for all of us. Yeshua died for the good and for the bad, for all to have the opportunity to be saved. But I want to tell you on this note about something. Beware the idea that God would do this for someone else, but not for me. You see, this whole the whole point of one of the points of the Day of Atonement is for you to know that you can't tell yourself, well, yes, God died for the world and yes, God made sacrifice for the world and he did great things for the world. But I don't know if he would do that for me. Yes, God healed this and that person and God healed people in the Bible and God gave freedom emotionally and God did all these things for people. But I don't know if he could do that for me. You see, that is a lie from the enemy that he comes with. But this passage of scripture tells us the truth that he came for you just as much 
as the person next to you, no matter your condition and no matter theirs. He came for all. That means that there is hope. There is freedom for you that you're never too far gone. And what you did in the past doesn't have to affect your future because he makes a line in the sand and says, I give you opportunity to be atoned for completely, that every sin would be wiped from you, that I wouldn't even see it nor know it. It will be as far as the east is from the west that I offer for you, not just for your neighbor, not just for the world, but for you. Will you accept that and make that your own? Next, I'd like to discuss the offering that is sent to Azazel. This is one of the most peculiar, strange offerings in all of Scripture. One that many have wondered about and been confused about for many years. I just discussed with you earlier the goat that is sent for Yahweh up to give atonement for all of Israel corporately. But then there is this other goat and this one the priest goes to. He places his hands on it. He confesses the sins of Israel onto this goat. And then this goat is sent out into the wilderness. And Aaron shall cast a lot over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. But what does Azazel even mean? The word has many definitions depending on how you look at it. The ancient tradition is that Azazel is a type of demonic figure, one who taught mankind all kinds of evil. Some say Satan himself. The word itself, Azazel, has a definition in the original language that simply could mean the goat of departure or the one that is cast out. Really, it is synonymous with being in the wilderness outside the camp, the place you don't want to be because it's can also be seen as outside the kingdom, the place of death, the place of of of, of where where there's dryness, right? Instead of a place of prosperity and the promised land. And it's interesting because we see with the scriptures that the enemy himself, the devil, is described as one who wanders in the wilderness, just like this Azazel goat who would end up wandering in the wilderness. We read, for example, in Job 1 verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. He finds no rest wandering the earth. Matthew 12, 43 tells us about demons. And when Yeshua says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless, that is dry places, seeking rest but finds none. Interestingly, similar to how demons are described by Yeshua to be in the wilderness, this dry place, that is the ultimate destination of the Azazel goat as well. So we see that 
this final destination of the Azazel goat lines up with where the enemy is, where you could argue sin is, dryness is, death is, desperation and separation from God is. But now this brings us to the big question of, well, what does the Azazel goat then really represent? Scholars have really wondered and argued this for many years. One side sees the first goat as being the atonement for Israel and the world. But then this Azazel goat as being Yeshua himself as well, with the sins being confessed upon him, him being sent outside the camp to be crucified outside the camp. And then the other side of people see it as being as Azazel being Satan himself. And how Satan is cast out, similar to how we see Azazel with uh, being synonymous with demons, with all kinds of evil being outside the camp. I would like to submit to you that the answer is that not one of these viewpoints are absolutely correct. It's just not that simple. But the answer is way more interesting and way more profound. And the answer is in the gospel story itself. You see, Satan is the father of lies, the originator of sin, the tempter responsible for the fall of man. He is the main person who deserves death. But Satan's death would not do anything to solve humanity's sin problem, nor would it bring forgiveness for humanity. Since his death would only be punishment for himself and not sacrifice for us. You see, to die for another sin, you need to be perfect. We need a perfect lamb. You could argue that because of what Satan has done, he deserves great consequence for the sins of the world that he has sparked and continues to spark to this very day. You can argue that he deserves to follow the path of the Azazel goat, to be wandering, to be in the wilderness, to be in a place of death, sin and despair for all the days of his life and beyond. But yet now we come to Yeshua, the perfect Lamb of God, and he comes and he does step in, even though he's the last person that deserves it. Well, Satan was the most deserving. Yeshua instead comes and he dies. Yeshua's death means that he ultimately follows the path of the punishment of the Azazel goat. We see that the sins are placed upon him as he is on the cross. We see that he is taken outside the camp where he was ultimately crucified, just like the Azazel goat was taken outside the camp. And there, when he's there on the cross, he quotes the Psalm, Psalm 22, verse one, Father, why have you forsaken me? And this is to point us to this confirmation of him fulfilling part of the path of this Azazel goat. And then we see a scarlet garment is placed upon him. Matthew 27, 28, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. 
Now, what's really interesting for you to understand the significance of this, we need to discuss a little bit of Jewish tradition regarding the Azazel goat. You see, what would happen is the Jewish people would actually go and not only lead the Azazel goat outside as scripture tells them to, but they would even go as far as to push this goat off the cliff. They saw it as being representing Israel's sins being pushed off the cliff, not just wandering outside. However, this is not what God instructed them to do. Leviticus 16.22 tells them, The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. I want to submit to you that the killing of the goat by pushing it off the cliff, according to Jewish tradition, is illegal. It's not what God said they should do. The scriptures clearly state that you should let it go free. But I want to submit to you that this tradition is ironically a prophetic picture of what would happen by the hand of the leaders of Israel in the first century. Just like they illegally pushed the goat off the cliff to make it to kill it, they illegally put Yeshua on a cross to kill him. But there's a second aspect to this. You see, they would not they would also take a piece of scarlet uh, fabric and they would put a piece of it on the goat. They would rip it. They would take the other piece and it became a well-known miracle that the when the goat was cast out of the camp, that this scarlet piece of fabric would actually turn as white as snow. And that is when the high priest would declare that this was successful and God has heard us and God has forgiven us. However, around 30 AD, the Jewish writings itself within the Talmud records something interesting that from that year, the robe, this piece of fabric, it stopped turning white. Instead, it remained scarlet. And even the Jewish people of the day believe that this, this signify that God is not hearing them, not forgiving them, not accepting their atonement anymore. We read this in the Talmud. The rabbis taught that the 40 years prior to the destruction of the temple, the lot did not come up in the high priest's right hand, nor did the tongue of the scarlet wool become white. I want to submit to you that the scarlet wool did not turn white because of the first century's corrupt priesthood, the killing of the Messiah and their unbelief in the Messiah. They proclaimed just before killing him, his blood be on us and on our children. Matthew 27, 25. Ultimately, it is only belief in the Messiah that could take away the sins of Israel. And this coincides with it all. We see that this scarlet uh, wool stopped turning white. At the same time as when the Messiah's sacrifice killing on the cross took place. 
But now, what is interesting, as we are discovering Yeshua on this path of the Azazel God, he, it seems that he is fulfilling a lot of the parts of it, right? But then we get to the end of it and we see something incredible. Just as it seems that it is the end, the disciples have given up. They are away from the cross. They are wondering, has their lives been a waste? Why have they followed this Messiah who seemed to now have just ended with a death on a cross? Suddenly, something happens. He resurrects from the dead. And this is a shock to everyone, including Satan himself. You see, brothers and sisters, Yeshua did not fulfill every part of the Azazel God because he did not wander in that place of death, that wilderness forever. He did not inherit that final destination. He was raised from the dead. And because of this, there is something that is different about him and Satan's journey. The path of this Azazel goat ends in terror. And it's exactly what Satan was planning for Yeshua. But it backfired. And Satan would end up falling into the very pit that he tried digging for the Messiah. Because he would, in another way, follow that path of the Azazel goat. We read that he will be blamed as the father of sin. He will, in another way, bear responsibility for his actions. He will bear sins of the world as punishment. Satan was thrown from heaven, sentenced to wander the earth. In fact, that is his current situation. He is wandering the earth, as we read in the book of Job, to and fro. And then we read in the book of Revelation that his final destination is that he will be destroyed with all of sin and death. Revelation 20 verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. As I mentioned, Satan wanted Yeshua to follow that Azazel path to the end to death. We see this with various New Testament scenarios. One of them is in Luke 4, 28, where the devil tries to have him thrown off a cliff. Luke 4, 28, when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which their own town was built. So they could throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Just as the Azazel goat was often thrown off the cliff, that's what Satan put in the hearts of these men to do to Yeshua. And it's not a coincidence. We also read about Yeshua's encounter with Satan in the wilderness. The wilderness. Isn't that interesting? And we, we read Luke 4 verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And Yeshua answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
You can just see how Satan is trying to make Yeshua go to this domain of the Azazel, this place of death. He's saying, you know, throw yourself down from here or bow down before me, because ultimately, if Yeshua would throw himself down from there or he would bow down before Satan, either one of those things, he would be sinning. You see, Satan was tempting him with sin because he knew if he could make Yeshua sin, he would be able to kill him because sin leads to death. You see, brothers and sisters, the devil wants to trade places. He wanted to trade places with Yeshua and he wants to trade places even with you. You see, at the end of the day, he wants to escape the wilderness and he wants to drag you to that final destination that he is destined for. And I want to ask you, what are you doing with the temptations that you are facing? Because the enemy, as he came to Yeshua, he's going to come to you and he is going to tempt you to come to that place, to make a mistake so that you will inherit that same place of death he is destined for. But Yeshua said, no, don't you know what the Bible says? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Yeshua knew what Satan was up to. You see, this brings another layer to this. Satan told Yeshua to throw himself off the cliff because he was testing. He was seeing whether he could kill the Messiah at all. Because if he jumped, if Yeshua jumped and the angels caught him, Satan would know he had no chance of killing the Messiah and he would have had to make another plan. But God needed Satan to keep believing that he had a shot at killing the Messiah. Because ultimately that would produce salvation for the world. And so this is why Yeshua said, Satan it is written, do not put God to the test. It was not only talking about that we shouldn't test God by jumping off a hill, but also talking to Satan. Why are you testing God? It's not wise. Do you see the magnificence of this? How God is working here and he is having Satan work into God's own plan. God is not deceived. God is not taken by surprise. But Satan's work in trying to kill the Messiah would ultimately take him, lead him to the cross as he worked in the hearts of wicked men. But it would also lead to a sacrifice for humanity. It would lead to a resurrection. And that resurrection is incredibly important because what does it help? That we have a, someone who dies for our sins, yet our king is dead. One of the greatest miracles is the fact that Yeshua was able to carry our sin, to carry death, have death placed on his shoulders, but yet not be overcome by it. And have death not hold him down, but yet him being able to have victory over it. And if our Messiah could do that, that's what he is promising us, that you could have victory over death if you have his atonement. And this is why the Azazel goat portion of scripture is so amazing, because just as the Azazel goat 
carries all the sins of Israel and the sins of the world ultimately and is cast out of the camp. Yeshua would follow that path yet not inherit that final destination of death but he would escape death, get resurrected to life but yet all of sin, all of death, all of hell would be cast away from us and we would be able to be free from where the place is that was really made for Satan and his fallen angels. You see, brothers and sisters, this brings us to this question of what does this all mean for us? I want to remind you for a moment of the story of Barabbas. As we have Barabbas and Yeshua up there, it's similar to these two goats. The goat that is taken for the Lord as atonement and the goat that is sent away, let go free, the goat of Az- to send to Azazel. Just like that, we have Yeshua, who is sacrificed ultimately, and Barabbas, who ultimately goes free to wander the earth to and fro. That means without purpose for the kingdom of God. You see, ultimately, this is another parable. They were also even both seen as messiahs. Yeshua being the messiah of the world and Barabbas was seen as the messiah of the extremist groups within the Jewish people in the first century. That's why they picked him, because they believed that he could help them be free from the Roman occupation. He was a type of messiah as well. But see, my question to you is, who do you pick? Many picked Barabbas in his day. Many picked Yeshua. Who will you pick? If you pick Yeshua, you will become that living sacrifice. Baptized. First buried in baptism. Raised from the dead as he was raised. And be a walking living sacrifice where the fire of God comes upon it and burns with the Holy Spirit as a sweet smelling aroma to, the God, to God. A pleasing sacrifice to him. Or will you be Barabbas? Will you be the one who was sent away to go free, to wander the earth, but without purpose for God's kingdom. Barabbas was sent and he had no one who could make atonement for him, except he had to atone for his own sins. He had to pay for his own sins. He had to bear his own sins. And any man who bears his own sins will go to the place where the sins are, the place of destruction, where the enemy is, where sins are, and everyone is who is in opposition to God. You see, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, they will follow and enter into that final destination that we so well know as hell itself. And this is the concluding question. Will you have atonement? And what is that atonement? Someone has to pay. It will either be the Messiah who did this miraculous work for you, who who outsmarted the enemy for you, or it will be that you choose to rely on yourself. But this is not needed. God says he comes and he says in Leviticus 1630 at the end of this chapter, 
on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourself a statute forever. God comes and he says, I made a plan. I made atonement for you. Take it. Take advantage of this miracle I have brought forth in your midst. And he this is how we celebrate this day of atonement. He says, take a Sabbath day of rest. Take off and work. Don't do your usual work that you do all the other days of the week, but rest in what? In Yeshua, the Sabbath rest, the fact that he died for you and made atonement for you. Rest, be happy, glory, glory in that. Be, be, worship him in that, right? Praise him in that. Hallelujah, he made atonement for us. And then he goes and he says, I want you to afflict yourself. I want you to fast. And as you don't eat on this day, you remember the punishment that he took on your behalf. For us to not eat one day is probably okay compared to what he had to suffer to get us back and to get us free. And then he also says that he wants us to repent of our sins and ultimately we use this day to praise God. Brothers and sisters, as we praise him and worship him this day and or take peace in what he has done for us and rest in that, let's not forget to make sure that our side of the table is clean, that in our respect and honor for what he has done in worship to our king, we have to go and say, Father, show me my sin. Show me what I have done wrong, what you had to pay for. Show me so I can know it, so I can repent from it, so I can be clean, so I can come to your presence. You see, brothers and sisters, you, like that high priest, can come into the presence because the veil was torn. And without any of this, man, like we are so I don't even know if you understand how far gone we would have been like just imagine a world where Satan rules and gives his, he's given dominion and and we have no access to God. Imagine a world where where God has forsaken all the unclean people, including me and you and everyone else, because he would have been in full right. He could have done that and he would have still been innocent. He would have still been glorious. He would have still been amazing and everything. He he is. He didn't need to prove anything. He didn't need to come and die for me or you. Do you understand it? Like this was not necessary for him to do, but yet he did because he loved you so much. Are you going to let this understanding pass you by and rather dwell in your own sins, that thing you've been doing for years, but you don't want to stop doing because you, you take so much pleasure in it. Is it really worth it considering what he has done for you, considering that he walked that horrible path of the Azazel goat, which was actually meant for Satan? And yes, Satan will get it, but he still walked a part of that path of punishment that you deserved. He bore your sins. And the least that we can do is make sure that we don't continue in them. So, Father, I pray that you would enable us 
to be freed. You would empower us with your spirit to be on fire for you, but clean, Lord, a, a living sacrifice acceptable and holy unto you, that when you come and dwell in us, you take pleasure in our thoughts and actions. Father, I pray, Lord, for your power to work in and through us as we are a witness, a walking temple to the world for them to come and enter and encounter you as well. Lord, I pray that you, Father, would just have mercy on our enemies this day, on those who do not know you. Lord, we pray for our enemies as you instructed. We pray for those who have, have done wrong against us in your kingdom. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would have offer them mercy and grace and find them where they are so they can see their sins. Father, I just pray right now for your people to come to a greater, deeper understanding of the atonement that you made for them so that they would love you more because that's the ultimate thing that it does for me and I know it will do for them. Father, I thank you for your sacrifice. Yeshua, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our King, our Savior, our Redeemer, we worship you. In the name of Yeshua, amen. This month of September 2021, we are traveling to Texas as well as Missouri for the feast days. If you are near any of those states, go find out more on riseonfire.com events. I want to say a special thank you to our partners who enable us to continue spreading the gospel in this way, both in person as well as online. If you want to join us in helping us take this to the nations, Consider partnering with the ministry. I hope that this has blessed you. Shalom.